Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 99 of Maximize Your Influence. Steve Olson here, along with Kurt Mortensen, who is ready to roll with more Power Pack Persuasion info. We want to remind you all, check us out on iTunes, on the iTunes store. Send us your feedback to maximizeyourinfluence at gmail.com. And as always, you want to learn more about what we're talking about here, take it up a notch in your application and your daily life as a persuader, go to universityofpersuasion.com. Kurt, how you been? Hey, I've been awesome. Back from Chicago, eating better now, because you know when you travel, you don't eat so hot. And I've been working with a lot of great professional persuaders. It's just a great thing to be persuaded by a professional. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So you got and, persuaded by a professional. Yeah, well, I was just, we were doing some training and just listening to them. And I hear this in seminars a lot. People will say, well, what if they know what I'm doing? What if they see right through it? I said, when you're a professional and you're doing it right, they appreciate it. They love it. In fact, you've heard it before. The easiest person to sell is the salesperson. When you do it right and you follow the laws and you put everything into perspective, it makes a huge difference. So it's always refreshing to see those that really take the profession seriously, the professionals at what they do. So I've just been noticing that this week that a lot of great professionals out there that are doing it the right way. So kudos to you. Yeah, yeah. You do notice when you're dealing with a professional. For as bad as some of these blunders can be, <laughs> when you see a professional or a ninja do it right, the contrast is pretty stark. And you realize why a small percentage of persuaders make most of the money. And it's refreshing. It really is good to watch. And even if they're mirror and matching you and saying the right things and going for the clothes, I mean, it's good. It's professional. It works. And it's just great to see people take that profession so seriously and be pros. So hats off to you, professional persuaders. Way to go. They're feeling better about themselves. <laughs> you can hang up now and go make some more sales. That's all you need to know. And if you think you're a professional persuader, eh, maybe you are, maybe you're not. But we're always working on it. We're always fine-tuning. We're always learning. So welcome aboard. We're going to learn some great stuff today. Yeah, yeah. Like we were talking about last week, the professionals, the top-tier persuaders, always know that they can do better even at the basics. And anybody who's been really good at anything knows that basics, blocking and tackling, as they say, are, are what make the most difference. So if you find yourself rolling your eyes going, oh, this is basic, this is basic, yeah. <laughs> I actually was teaching a class to a group of uh, real estate investors over the weekend, and I had one of those guys who during one of the breaks told me, hey, I really need to get some good techniques here. I'm having money problems. And then in, in the class, he proceeds to raise his hand and tell me that he's already heard all this stuff. <laughs> and yeah. the was just thick with irony and i i kind of gracefully said what are you doing here you know you, you know you and i know the conversation we had about money yet uh, you know everything that uh, something's not adding up here yeah i love what dan kennedy he talks about that he's a great marketer does a lot of seminars has sold millions from the platform and he found out that the people that would come up and complain about the price of the program or he didn't talk about this or what about this and Complain that they wanted it for free and why was he charging were the ones that weren't driving the very nice cars. <laughs> <laughs> and that was just his epiphany of thinking, well, wait, the ones that complain and whine and moan the most are the ones that aren't doing it 
that want the magic bolt that aren't willing to pay the price. So some of the basics, just like with its professional basketball, you got to learn how to free throw. You got to practice every day. You learn those, you master those, and practice every day. Everything else is a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember we we did a seminar in Vegas a couple of years ago, and we had a guy come to our seminar that uh, a super nice guy sat in the front row, asked lots of questions, and we found out after the fact that he had actually chartered a jet from Beverly Hills to come up to our seminar for the weekend. I do remember that, and he was the most hungry, most eager, probably the best learner in the whole group, and he had already as the world would define it, made it, but he was learning and growing and wanting more, and that was a big lesson to all of us. It's uh, I think about that all the time, all the time, when you're you're looking for that magic pill or something super great that you can do to catapult you into the stratosphere. I think about that guy who charters private jets to go from Beverly Hills to Vegas. That's not that far of a drive. Okay. <laughs> it's not that far of a drive. And to sit into a seminar room for eight or ten hours a day. Exactly. should tell us all a lot, so... That's good stuff. Why don't we go ahead and cue up the Urkel? All right. Your favorite, not mine. Urkel, go. <laughs> Urkel, and I'm going to handle it today. The geeky article moment brought to us by Steve Urkel from the hit show of the 90s, Family Matters. And he sure laughed like a dork. And that's why we have it on there to enhance the geekiness of it. Because usually Kurt pulls the article from some obscure journal that he's the only one that reads. Um, <laughs> you know, like... City Bureaucrat Weekly, or, I don't know, Afghanistan Psychology Quarterly, something like that. Well, where did you get yours? Is it at least interesting place? Entrepreneur.com. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's a good place, but it's not as interesting as Fungus and Friends. Fungus? <laughs> yes. Okay, fine. We've got our article, One Reason Our Brains Love to Procrastinate. Last week, I put this up on the Facebook page and tweeted it out. By the way, we're on Facebook and Twitter. Our Twitter handle is InfluenceMax. So find us at at InfluenceMax. We'll tweet out when we release new shows, new articles, uh, various different things that we find interesting, and we think that you will too. And then just uh, type into your Facebook search, Maximize Your Influence, and you can join and like our page, and uh, we post cool stuff on there. And you can uh, get a link to the reason our brains love to procrastinate, which, uh, you know, that's not a secret. That's not a surprise to any of us that we like to procrastinate. In fact, I was taking my daughters to swim lessons a little while ago, and I took them to 7-Eleven after to get a, a quick snack. It's kind of a, a tradition we have. There's two weeks of swim lessons, and we go get a Slurpee or something after swim lessons. And they had a delightful cabinet of donuts at 7-Eleven. And of course... The sugar rush and the taste right now is something I opted for rather than the who knows how much weight I will put on as a result of my procrastinating my physical fitness, right? The author of the article says that the payoff of eating a donut is immediate and the cost of skipping workouts won't show up until you've skipped for months. Or the payoff of spending money today is immediate, like a new iPhone, but the cost of forgetting to save for retirement won't show up until you're years behind. So this is the uh, present versus the future you problem, right? We like to treat our present self much better than we like to treat our future self. And there are a few recommendations that the author makes for how to curb this a little bit. Uh, three options. You've got to make the rewards of long-term behavior more immediate, Right, Our mind wants an, an immediate benefit. So if you can give yourself some kind of immediate benefit tied 
to positive long-term behavior, that increases your chances. For example, I when I uh, close a sale, right? I go hit a bucket of golf balls at the driving range. It's my immediate benefit that I get to have. Number two, make the cost of procrastination more immediate. This is usually an accountability thing with friends or family or someone else. For example, we all know how much easier is it to work out on a consistent basis if you have a trainer or a workout partner who's there waiting for you at the gym at 7 a.m. If you don't show up at the gym at 7 a.m., you're a schmuck, right? You didn't come through with your commitment to your buddy. But if you're just doing it by yourself, who did you really let down? Well, your future self, and we're pretty abusive to our future self, okay? And number three is remove procrastination triggers from your environment. It's uh, probably the most powerful thing to do. You've got different triggers that make you procrastinate, right? So you've got to get those out of your life to make it a little bit easier for you to not abuse your future self. Because I think we're way too optimistic about what our future self is capable of. Well, later I'm going to be able to save all this money. Well, later I'm really going to be able to work out all the time. Probably giving ourselves a little bit too much credit there. Kurt, what do you think? I agree. The postponing, putting it off in the future, especially for our teenagers who have no frontal lobes, who don't have the ability to forecast in the future, it's definitely an issue. And of course, the great example as far as if you're not dieting or exercising, the consequences come later. And that's the yeah. challenge with our habits is the consequences don't show up for a while, whether it's our debt or not being ready for retirement or our weight gain. And it's the example we've used before to where if you went to a McDonald's and you know it's bad, but you got to eat a quick meal and you, you take a bite of that hamburger, what would happen if every time you took a bite, you felt this and your rear end got a little bigger, right? <laughs> yeah. You took some French fries and your stomach got a little bigger. If that was instant, there would be nobody at McDonald's. That's easy, but it doesn't happen that way. It's gradual. We don't notice. The consequences are instant. So I like the fact is, as far as thinking about the future, recognizing those things is a big part of overcoming procrastination. Definitely. Definitely. Well, let's move on to uh, the rest of the show here. I noticed, and uh, I've told, uh, it's well documented here on the show that I do some consulting for real estate investors. And I go out and I give these two-day talks to a group of investors about how to how to do this better and give them some tips. And after I did it a couple of times, I noticed that if there were a couple of questions I could answer within about the first 15 to 20 minutes of my presentation, it would save the rest of the two days from being a complete grind <laughs> with uh, horrible attitudes and horrible questions and, and things that were going to be very counterproductive to the rest of our time together. And you have a word for that, and I think some people refer to it differently, and we've talked about it on the podcast before, called inoculation. And it's been quite some time, and if we find ourselves running up against the same problems as persuaders over and over again, it's definitely time for inoculation, isn't it? I agree 100%. This is a tool of great persuaders to inoculate. You know, it comes to the medical term inoculation, where you're giving the weak form of the disease to inoculate against the strong form of the disease. And we need to do this with our prospects. You mentioned the first 15 minutes in a seminar. Man, if you don't cover those things and answer those questions ahead of time before they appear, it makes everything into a downward spiral a lot of times. And that's very important to understand. In fact, the example I use, if I'm in a seminar, I'll talk about this cool new persuasion software I developed. It answers all your objections. It tells you what to do in every situation. Then I'll hold up, remember those five and a half, I think they're five and a quarter, whatever they are, those huge floppy disks. 
they're huge and and people haven't seen them for years and i hold it up and i talk about the benefits of the software and how it goes over the 77 objections if people are angry you click on a button and then i stop and everyone's just looking at me and i said what just happened and it's very important that they understand this and all our listeners understand this that the moment i've held up that floppy disk people's mind hit a brick wall and they were thinking and I haven't seen those in years. Is he stupid? I think he's stupid. Where would I put it? Is it really on that? Is he kidding? I think he's kidding. He might be kidding. Why is he showing that? They didn't hear any of the benefits of this persuasion software. They were stuck. Their brains hit a brick wall. And so contrary to popular belief, a lot of times objections are not good. I mean, that's old school persuasion. Oh, yeah, objections are good. Yeah, sometimes they are. But if you hit an objection in the middle of your presentation in the first 15 minutes, that's like hitting a brick wall with your prospect's brain they can't think of anything else and they get stuck. And so the message is, the message is great persuaders pre-solve objections before they happen. If you know for sure it's going to come up, you want to pre-solve it ahead of time so you don't get that brain damage down the road. Yeah, okay. So every industry is different to a degree. There's going to be different objections that are going to be unique to your industry. Are there any that are pretty much uniform? that you see that we, we're going to have to always inoculate against? Or is this kind of more of an individual thing in a case-by-case basis? It's a little both. You'll see things come up again and again. And for example, just in, let's take a parenting example before we get into the business world. This is a, a sample of inoculation where you know if you have children, they will be approached by a drug dealer. You don't just let it happen. You inoculate them. You give them the antibodies. You give them the ammunition to be able to fight off that disease or that drug dealer to where, okay, this is what's going to happen. They're going to approach you. They're going to make you feel stupid. They're going to use peer pressure. They're going to give you free samples. This could happen. This is what you say. This is what you do. So when it happens, they have the ammunition to fight it off. And for example, the cost example would be one of those or, or the asking questions in the middle of your presentation. A good example of cost would be if you were selling, uh, let's say, photocopiers and you were the most expensive on the market, top of the line, and you knew the guy behind you was selling the cheapest ones, you knew the guy behind you was going to say, yeah, that person you just talked to, they're the most expensive. You've got to give them the antibodies to fight that off. You can't just let that happen. If you know that objection is going to come up, whether in your presentation or another presentation, you've got to handle that. You would say something like, you know what? We are top of the line. But let me tell you this. Others will call us the most expensive. But when you do the math with our warranty and our service and our free toner and that we last five years longer, you do the math, it's actually one of the most economical photocopiers on the market. So when the next person says something, they have that ammunition to fight that off. So you'll see the universal ones like cost or the ability to ask questions during your presentation. I've used this one before. It works really well in seminars to where you might only have 30 minutes to do a presentation. And there's always the people that want to ask questions, want to ask questions. So I pre-solve it ahead of time. I say, you know, let's take a vote here. I have 30 minutes to do a presentation. I'm going to answer 99% of your questions. How many of you want to go 60 minutes with questions or just go 30 minutes and then answer the questions after that? Of course, they all raise their hands for the 30 minutes. And the fun thing is, is I don't have to solve it. If a hand goes up in the middle of my presentation, the audience handles it for me. (laughs) They say, no, there's no questions. What are you doing? Put your hand down. (laughs) And I do that ahead of time. I could do the presentation and keep control of the conversation. So whatever you know that's going to come up, and I don't want you to guess at the 20 things that might come up. If you know it's going to come up, then you want to pre-solve it, and it makes a huge difference in your presentation and your sales. Right. And I think this is a mistake that I've made before, Kurt, and you probably have too, that just because some guy 
raised the concern one time many lives ago doesn't mean you have to inoculate against that particular concern forevermore. This has to be a pattern in order for inoculation to become necessary, correct? Oh, yeah, great point. Because sometimes we hear one concern, we think the whole world has this concern, and it was only this one strange person over here that was thinking differently, and we add it into our presentation. So if you start bringing up everything that could come up or ever has come up, now all of a sudden you're giving them reasons not to do it. You're giving them objections. So again, the rule here, you have to know it's going to come up. You have to address it. You pre-solve it. You don't want to guess what might come up. So if you know that cost is going to come up, if you know that wanting to ask questions is going to come up, if you know that they might want to talk to a partner, pre-solve a lot of those things ahead of time so when it comes up, it becomes a non-issue. Yeah, because it's so much better to deal with it on the front end if you can. Absolutely. When you deal yeah. it on the front, the front end, it just changes the whole dynamic of the presentation. Any other tips on inoculation? Because I know we're actually going to uncover it a little bit more on next week's episode without revealing too much. What else should the listeners know? When you properly inoculate, it also increases your credibility because sometimes you reveal a perceived weakness and turn it into a strength. We've talked about that with trust. The interesting research is a couple things I want to share that you got to be very careful of. If you start a presentation that with, today I'm going to persuade you, <laughs> you might as well shoot yourself. They've actually done studies on that to where people become less persuasive because they're like, wait a minute, no you're not. So you got to be very careful the way you inoculate and what you say. But here's something interesting. There's actually long-term inoculation or what the medical community calls a booster shot. So if you have a client or a customer that has a long-term relationship and you've inoculated them against maybe your competition, you can't just do it once. You have to keep reinforcing it with booster shots. And that could be anything from reciprocity to additional information or anything that would increase your credibility. You can just add a booster shot every now and then with that visit, talking to that person. Just because you've done it once doesn't mean it's going to last forever. Just like the medical community, you might need a little booster shot with a teenager, with a coworker, with a customer to make sure that inoculation sticks for the long term. Yep, good point. With just always being careful that you don't give them the disease, but because yeah. you're you're trying to inoculate too heavily. Yeah, trying to bury them. You're just trying to prepare them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Big difference, big difference. I was talking to my dad. We joke about this. We're, we're pretty geeky like you, Kurt. We talk about uh, terrible marketing that we see. And I can't even remember the product. I'll have to ask him about it. But in the, uh, the marketing, there was so much about, well, the competition is bad. And we were talking about how we weren't even really concerned about the competition. But you're spending all this time talking about it. Now we're starting to really wonder, right? obviously was an example of uh, having gone too far. It is. If you're planting an objection in their mind they didn't have, that is too far. Again, you have to know it's going to come up, and it comes up in every presentation. You don't bring it up. Just like the seminars we teach, we know in the first 50 minutes there's certain things that we need to handle from credibility, certain questions to managing expectations. If we don't, there's a downward spiral. Because their brain has hit a brick wall with an objection, it wasn't covered, now they're assuming the worst, and it's a downward spiral. Yep, yep, good points. Well, uh, anything else you want to add on inoculation before we move on to a special segment? A special segment. I like yeah. that intro. Yeah. Again, the main thing here we talked about, it, but let me beat this one, is that not every objection that could come up, you have to know that 99% of the time it's going to come up, those are the objections you pre-solve, otherwise you're going to give them objections they've never had. 
Exactly right. Because some objections are more bothersome than others, and you don't want to go through that again, right? (laughs) So it's tempting to just inoculate everybody, but it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You end up going through it all the time because you're priming people to think about it. And the other thing I'll add here is don't be so concerned about your presentation. Read your prospect's face if you can or their tone of their voice if you're over the phone. Because when they do have an objection, maybe you haven't inoculated, you probably need to change the course of your presentation. Because if their brain has hit a brick wall, you need to handle that objection before you move on to the next step in your presentation. Yeah, that's true. They, they won't hear anything that you've said. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Okay, good. So on the show, we like to do a feature called the Persuasion Blunder, where we have Homer Simpson say dough because it was just a terrible blunder. And then we also have a feature called the Persuasion Ninja. When we come across or when you nominate somebody who just did a really great job and we think it's worth highlighting why they did such a good job as a persuader, we bring that person on as a ninja Well, we talk about them and we do a horrible kung fu sound uh, in order to, I guess, get some kind of martial arts feel going. But sometimes we're not quite sure if it's a ninja or if it's a blunder, in which case we call it a blinja. Okay. (laughs) So Kurt's got to cue up the Homer and the ninja here, and then he's got some explaining to do. (laughs) Don't, don't, don't. Yep. All right. (laughs) Yeah, so... Part of what I do is I like to go to websites and put in my number, which is a strange thing, to get a phone call, to see how persuasive they are, to see trends, the things that are happening, to help with my training and seminar. So I did that. And out of the blue, I got a call from a company that was trying to sell me continuing education, like going back to school, going back to college. And it was a very polite voice, very nice voice, very humanistic voice. And they were asking about what I want to do. They're going right for the close. Well, tell us where you want to continue your education. I'm like, well, I've got my graduate degree. I've never wanted to continue my education. Well, what do you want to do? They just kept going for the close and going for the question. And I kept answering. I'm like, man, is this person dumb or what's going on? And it was just going for the close. And then I'm like, wait a minute. Is this a real person? It sounds like a robot almost. Not from the voice, just because it just kept going into the same loop. And it says, well, what year did you graduate from high school? I'm like, 1907, (laughs) which is far from the truth. I'm not quite that old. And this computer, which I'm 95% sure was a computer, went, ha, 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 ha. Okay, so what do you want to study? (laughs) Wait a minute. What's going on here? And it just kept going in circles, and I kept playing with it and doing it. It would do a laugh, and it just kind of keep looping back. And every time I'd ask him a personal question, it would loop back to something else. So I can't decide if that's a blunder or a ninja or a blinja, a little bit of both, because I'm like, wow, kudos for you for that technology to be able to pull that off. And then on the other hand, that as far as the loop and the programming probably wasn't the best in the world because it was going straight for the jugular every time. There was no small talk. There was no getting another person. There was no finding out exactly what I needed. It was just going for the jugular every time. So I don't know. What are your thoughts? Is that a ninja, a blinja, a blunder? What are you thinking? I'm actually going to say that it's a ninja. Mm. I think that you and I are a little bit snobby on <laughs> on this stuff because it's what we do. Majority of people out there, I mean, a lot of this stuff does work and they might not pick up on it. Now, there's going to be plenty that do. But the point is, is they're trying to make this qualification process a lot more smooth. And I'll I'll give them kudos for using a real voice. Obviously, there was probably some kind of automation behind it. And that's I think that may be where a lot of this 
is going, I don't know that they can ever get robots or artificial intelligence or whatever to to completely replace the emotional connection that needs to happen between two human beings and persuading. But I, I think what they're just trying to do is is take that qualification process and refine it so much to where very rarely is one of their sales staff going to have to do this. And they're trying to cut costs, obviously, right? They don't yeah, want a guy sitting in a costs, cubicle yeah. with a headset. Yeah, I'll say Ninja for the technology and being creative and the way they did it blunder on some of the questions and maybe you don't have a choice it's not to the point to where yeah, that's what i can think. pick out words when it's asking me questions what i'm looking for i mean maybe that's in the future but there was i mean straight for the jugular it might work for other people especially if they're interested in that sort of thing i don't remember putting in my name for something like that but it, my objection was i yeah i never did it i've got a graduate degree i don't need any more education yeah and they kept going into a loop so it might work in a perfect situation so I'm going to stick with Blinja on this one. A little bit of both on that. Interesting. So, listeners, that might be a new technology where the world's going, keeping costs down, pre-screening some clients that you can talk to. Who knows? It's interesting technology, and it'll be fun to see where that goes. They're getting better. They're getting better with the robots and, and make them a little bit more human. Here, You want to check, check this out. I asked a friend of mine told me the other day to ask Siri a question. All right. And usually Siri gives you a useless answer or just, you know, straight to the facts. But she's getting to be a little bit more personable. And mm. uh, now she's she's got a little bit of an edge. Check this out. Siri, what's zero divided by zero? Imagine that you have zero cookies and you split them evenly among zero friends. How many cookies does each person get? See, it doesn't make sense. And Cookie Monster is sad that there are no cookies. And you are <laughs> sad that you have no friends. Wow. So, yeah, Siri told me I have no friends. Right? <laughs> that is a little legend. We want a little believability in our robots, and I guess that is the future. To the point most movies show, it seems like they get to the point where there's too much believability. They're too real, and that starts to freak people out. So I think that's every movie on robots that's ever existed. Yeah, yeah, the robots, we all know, they eventually take over and get a mind so of their every own. Movie, that's right. They take over the world. <laughs> okay. Well, that's good. Uh, everybody, once again, make sure you go to iTunes. We really love your reviews that you put up on iTunes about the show, whether they're good, they're bad, they're ugly. Go ahead and tell your peers out there what you think of the show via an iTunes review and subscribe. And that way, every time we release a show, it just automatically downloads to your iPhone or to your Android device or whatever else you may be using. You can always listen on Stitcher Radio, too. And uh, tune in, which you know, increasingly in new cars, they're actually making that an app on the dashboard where you have Stitcher Radio or tune in and you can catch Maximize Your Influence there. And if you've got ninjas or blunders or blinjas or anything like that that you want to nominate or questions, we answer your questions on the show all the time. Send them to Maximize Your Influence at gmail.com. That's it for today. And we will catch you next week on the ominous 100th episode mm -hmm. of Maximize Your Influence. Put on your seatbelt, get ready to roll, and we'll see you next week. 